Now on Racing Pulse, RSN's racing editor, Matt Stewart. I didn't like the last race as feature when they did it a few years ago, but there might be a bit of a somewhere in between sort of solution. For more news, opinion and selections, head to rsn.net.au. It is time for Maddie Stewart's news. Matt Stewart, the RSN racing editor, joins us on a... It's a bit murky uh, today, and you're heading out to Flemington for Big V, and I know they've got their long lunch out there. So hopefully for all of those who are attending, Maddie, that this little rain squall can pass and the sun can poke through because it'll be a big day out there at Flemington today. Looking forward to hearing the Big V out there. And um, we'll talk about the guineas. That's good news. Attrition now is likely to get a start, according to... Mitch Freeman and they've booked Jamie Carr to ride. That's a huge booking for the Guineas on Saturday. Yeah, just barriers, barriers dependent. I mean, he could he could he could fight for favouritism, really. You know, off the off his last run. So especially with Jay Carr, so uh, it'd be a nice story for the Guineas too to have a you know country trained horse uh, get the money with a, a nice pairing of the the superstar jockey and, a, and and Mitch Friedman. So yeah, hopefully the barrier falls its way and yeah, I, I, I probably. He's probably a six or seven dollar chance, isn't he? Really? Absolutely is. Um, so Jack and I's the favourite. Barriers will play a big part today. We'll get to see elliptical and having a chat to Ken Kelso too. Legato is the X factor. This Kiwi filly who looks absolutely phenomenal. Interestingly, um, Ken said that even if they win, they won't take up the option to go to an All Star Mile with these three year olds. And late last night or yesterday, the top ten was announced for the $5 million Sharp Extensive IT All-Star Mile. Um, Alligator Blood, he's a popular horse, isn't he? 18,301 votes. I wish I win, surprisingly, because the stable said he's not going to run. Second, 16,000. 15,400, I'm Thunderstruck. 9,600, Mr Brightside. 6,900, Nugget. 5,800, The Inevitable. So the Tassie... Um, cohort of cheering, six, uh, 4,600 Tuvalu. Jackano, probably unlikely to run as well, 3,998. Keats is probably the feel-good battler story, 2,851. And Gentleman Roy, 2,707, um, is the top 10. They are the top 10. They are guaranteed runners in the All-Star Mile if they want to take it up, Matty. Yeah, I've, I've had a couple of uh, queries from trainers. Every year the All-Star Mile comes around, there's a couple of little things that need to be ironed out. And a couple of trainers, one who's got a multiple interests in, in the race, just curious to know why the top 20 isn't published, why it's the top 10, and is there does it automatically go like a ballot order, say if I wish I win drops out and Jack and o does 11 and 12 then just get bumped up the list so they get an idea of whether they're in or not. So, Well, let's find out, yeah. shall we? Let's ask Matt Welsh, a man who's got all the answers because he's the general manager of racing at Racing Victoria. Good morning, Matty. You well? Yes, very well. Michael and Matty, good to be with you. Uh, you'd be happy, first of all, with um, the amount of votes. How does the amount of people who voted this year stack up to previous All-Star Miles? No, it stacks up uh, very well. I think it's been documented throughout that SA voters weren't able to win the competition this year, and not surprisingly, as a result of that, basically voting from South Australia fell through the basement. Um, but adjusting for that, it's a, it's a really good number year on year, and sort of hitting consistent, consistent voting, voting numbers year in, year out now. 
the good thing being there's a, a number of first-time voters amongst uh, this year's cohort. So overall, very pleased with the outcome. Just with the South Australian situation, has there been any um, line of communication? Obviously, it's related to the state government's uh, view on the world, basically. Uh, well, is that a negotiable position, do you think, Matt? Or is that basically, well, that's the way they want to go. There's not much we can do about it in the future. I think it is negotiable, and Matty will continue to push for South Australian voters to be able to win. Obviously, last year they were, and then uh, the decision was altered this year, meaning they couldn't. So heading into uh, next year's All-Star Mile, we'll certainly be lobbying for SA voters to be able to win again, and uh, you know, hopeful of that outcome. Just on that question of, I wish I win, and Jack and I two horses that are probably, at this stage, more unlikely than likely to take up their slot in the All-Star Mile. What happens if they come out two of the top 10 runners? Does it automatically then drop down to whoever finished 11th and 12th? And, and they're ones that we don't actually know uh, will be advertised at this stage. No, it'll drop to... So now that the, um, the top 10's been announced, the, if those horses choose not to run at any point um, moving forward, it'll go to... The emergency list and that provisional emergency list will be published later today. Um, I can tell you though that the first couple of horses in that emergency list are Fangirl and Cascadian. Um, so that's the way it'll work if those horses come out going forward. And it's just important to note that we've been in regular contact with the Moody stable and also the, the Price Kent stable and making sure that they want to keep their horses in along the way and um, noting that, you know, in the best interest of their respective connections, uh, it's certainly within their right to do so. So we have been in regular contact to make sure that at least the door is still ajar of running in an all-star mile, albeit unlikely, particularly with I wish I win, but it'd be something to see him back out, back up out of a new market, you know, a week later into an all-star mile. And if there's you know, one or two horses capable of doing it in Australia, he's probably one of them. Is the order of the emergency list um, determined by the next highest voted horses outside the top 10 or some other criteria? No, it, it's based off a prize money calculation, Matty. So once the top 10 is drawn and it then goes to uh, a provisional emergency list based off a prize money calculation. And and you'll have that list out later today. So would there be, what, for five four or five horses on that list um, um, for that provisional next group to, to move in? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll provide an extensive list of those emergencies in order. Yep. Um, and, yeah, that'll be published later today by Racing Victoria. So as it stands, we've got that top ten there. If a couple drop out, you've got your provisional emergency list. And then you've got five wild cards. One which is the blaming, or, or you can win your way in with the blaming and in the all-star mile as well, two of those. So... Uh, if Gentleman Roy wins the blaming, uh, Legato wins the uh, the guineas, I should say, um, They one's not going to run, one's already got a ticket in there. So does that then give you um, or the panel the option to allocate two more wild cards to other horses? Uh, the, yes, so the way it works, the blaming stakes when it correct is, is absolutely in the race, uh, unless, of course, they've already been voted in. The Australian guineas winner is not automatically in the race, obviously, there's some key lead-ups this weekend, including the Australian Guineas, and any horse who performed well uh, would be in the mix for a wild card. But the two winning your in races are the Futurity from last week, which was obviously won by Alligator Blood, and he's in the field, and then the Blamey Stakes this week. 
So if the Blamey Stakes winner happens to already be in the field, a, a Tuvalu or a Gentleman Roy, then we'll have five wild cards to allocate. And if the Blamey Stakes is won by a horse that isn't already in the field, uh, then we'll have four wild cards to allocate and uh, expect them to all be allocated by uh, early next week. Have you got a few that you would like to see uh, from um, horses that are not in that top 10? Can you give us a few that uh, might be the obvious ones that would uh, you'd like to have? There's a few people SMS, SMSing us saying, um, is La Creek on the radar over in New Zealand? Can you give us something, Matt? There's certainly a few Kiwis we'd be keen on. I think Golden 60 and Animo would fit nicely in the field. Yes. Uh, maybe, Michael, you can make a few calls <laughs> and convince their respective connections uh, to come down. But they've been workshopping it. Um, and there's a number of yeah, there's a number of really good quality runners in line for those wild cards, and and uh, you know we'll, we'll um, announce them over the coming four or five days. But yeah, if you could get Golden Sixty and Animo to come down, that'd be terrific. I might put it out to the listeners, Matty. Um, what yeah, absolutely. horses would you like to see in the All Star Mile that aren't um, in the votes and are most likely going to be um, a wild card? Um, I'm just having a look. Cascadians in the market. Fangirls in the market. Obviously, Momunga is there. Um, there's gold. Yeah, Annabelle Neesham's got a, a strong team of uh, horses that you'd think would be in the frame. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll wait to see there. Hey, Matty, just on something else, on Thursday night, you've got the final of the um, the the uh, Future Stars or the All-Stars. And gee, it, it's been a phenomenal success. The... The depth of the races at Pakenham on this Thursday nights have been huge. And just speaking to Clinton McDonald, then uh, he's talking about how difficult it is to to win these races. Is this a series that you think will will grow in strength? Because this is the first time. So the Sportsbet Future Stars final, eight forty five, race number seven, and it's got a a full field as you'd imagine with three hundred thousand dollars prize money. Yeah, we've been really pleased with it and uh, big thanks to, to Sportsbet who have obviously partnered up with the series and, and the team out of Pakenham led by Blair Rogers. But there's been a number of high-quality heats, high-quality winners and as you say, as it should be with a $300,000 final, you've got a really nice field. At Marble Arch, the filly from the, the Hayes Yard looks most promise, promising and it was good to see her after winning her maiden at Pakenham in one of the heats. She went back to Pakenham and won a benchmark 64, and, and she's been heavily back to win the final. But uh, she certainly won't have it all her own way. It has been a really good success, and, and there's obviously some key metrics, one of those being hopefully getting a few more people on course on Thursday nights, which, speaking of Blair and having been out there myself uh, on one of the Thursday nights, that's certainly a tick. And the other one, obviously, uh, eyeballs on uh, um, the, the broadcast and engagement via wagering. And we feel like that's been a real success. Um, just to give you a bit of an indication, turnover on these future stars made and heats at Pakenham is up over 40% on, on standard um, maiden turnover at Pakenham on Thursday nights over the last couple of seasons. So comparing against pretty strong benchmark figures. So that's been really pleasing. And, and Thursday nights as a whole have grown um, this year against the backdrop of you know, sort of stagnant or slightly declining figures. So it, it's been a real success. I'd hope that we can have Sportsbet partner with us again on this series going forward. And certainly these types of series where you've got clearly defined heats, finals, pathways that 
less involved racing fans can easily follow are certainly things that we want to um, implement right across the state. Hey, Matt, I've been fascinated, as a lot of people have been, by the role that Sandhound has played in the absence of Caulfield prime time with the, the big meeting last week, probably the best race meeting ever held at Sandown, and then the one on February 11 with the, the CF4 stakes and, and the other feature races as well. And just what we make of, of the statement that Sandown has made, I know that the wagering uh, figures have been comparable to Caulfield. Well, do, um, do we have any from Saturday coming through as yet, Matt, what the figures were on the meeting out there? Uh, not not quite as yet. I think they'll come out in the next 24 hours. Um, yeah, so they uh, they should be. I know Josh uh, Blanksby often puts them out there as well. Yep. So, yeah, they'll come through in the next 24 or so hours. The club expects them to be strong. That's a comment from the club, meaning um, the, the previous meeting, they, they were almost exactly the same, comparable pound for pound with Caulfield. The crowd was about 6,800 on Saturday, which was down about 25% on what Caulfield may have attracted. But I guess the, the sandown habit is not something that's an instant thing. And I think the crowd figures, especially given the multiple interest rate rises in recent times as well, Matt, since the, the Caulfield era, what do you make of the, the role that Sandown has played? Everyone, I didn't go on Saturday, but everyone tells me that the crowd was just fantastic uh, and had a real buzz about it. I just spoke to Peter Moody about it. He, he said that. What, you know, obviously there's stuff going on in the background with Sandown. We all know that. But what about, is there a potential even that Sandown has proven itself to the point where even when Caulfield's back on track, that Sandown may receive more feature race meetings? Yeah, well, that's, that's an interesting one, Matt. Uh, and, and obviously the future of Sandown very much sits with the club. I think from the, the perspective of the last few meetings that have been he- held at Sandown, I've been at a number of them, including Saturday. And there's no doubt the atmosphere was excellent out there. And, and credits the MRC for the $6 million they invested into Sandown. Uh, it's a fast space, so... You don't necessarily notice a, a significant difference with a $6 million investment, but certainly the place has been spruced up. Um, there was a lot of improvements. I heard the owner's bar was certainly uh, a real improvement on what was previously there. Uh, the crowd was excellent. The track, as it always does, races very well. And on Saturday, using both the hillside and the lakeside track, I don't think you could argue that um, every horse, really got their chance there, as they always do at Sandown. So, look, I think Sandown's done an incredible job over the last month and a half, uh, shouldering the load with Caulfield out of action. From a, from a track perspective, I don't think we expected anything else. We knew it was going to race very well. Uh, but from a crowd perspective on Saturday, I certainly thought the, the atmosphere was there. And I think speaking to the club, their benchmark was around that 7,000 people mark. So pretty much bang on with what they were expecting. So... I imagine they would have been pretty pleased. From what you're hearing, Matt, is the renovation uh, at Caulfield on on track, time-wise? Yeah, I think the first meeting back, we're looking at uh, June. Um, The the grass, the turf was delayed a month. Delivery of the turf, I think, was delayed a month. So I think it's largely on track, looking at um, Caulfield resuming racing on the course proper in June, and then uh, the heat track, the, the new inner track, will be given at least 12 months to bed down um, before we start seeing some racing on the heat. And when are we likely to hear um, if there are any more um, peripheral changes around the edges for the Spring Carnival? Because I know when it was announced that the Cox Plate's staying uh, where it is, um, that it, w- it was said that there, there would still be more changes, um, tinkering of the program to come. 
you, there's a, a number of A, flow-on impacts and B, other smaller little things that we're looking at. That's part of the, the 23-24 race, race states process. So we'll, we'll put that forward to the April board meeting um, for approval. Uh, there's a, a lot of consultation with stakeholders that needs to go on in and around that. So I'd expect, you know, sometime thereafter, uh, towards the back end of April, Michael will be able to put forward a, what the whole year is going to look like and be uh, in some more detail exactly what the rest of the spring will look like. Just two little quick ones. I see we've got a Sunday meeting at Mooney Valley this week. Um, is that a normal Sunday meeting at the Valley? No, that's, uh, this is the first time. Um, it was put in the race dates at the start of last year, ahead of the season kicking off. Uh, there's a, a sprint series final and a stayers series final. Mm. Heats have been run across the Friday nights in recent weeks, and I think there's a bit of a community day going on there at the Valley. So, yeah, that's a, 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 a day that hasn't previously been in the calendar, but, um, you know, it's good racing and good prize money on offer. And a listener's just said there's a May meeting scheduled at Caulfield. So would that move to Sandown then? Uh, yeah, I believe that will, and uh, the first meeting will be in June, I believe. Yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll get announcements out around uh, any changes there. Matty, appreciate your time this morning, um, and we'll follow um, with great interest uh, and see what unfolds with the All-Star Mile on the 18th of March. It's going to be a cracker. Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, so there you go. We've got a bit of clarity on the All-Star Mile there. It's going to be interesting to see what the final makeup of the field is. We always get that... Um, heading towards an all-star mile. And interesting, too, just touching on the MRC, Caulfield and Sandown situation. So I think the turnover is going to play a big part. There's a few SMSs saying um, we loved Sandown on Sunday. It felt like there were 7,000 alone inside. Sandown should continue the family tradition with CF4 Stakes Day. Gets the kids and partners out there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Interesting perspective of the MRC, uh, just a couple of communications where they thought the crowd was disappointing and an aged crowd. And oh, look, I wasn't there and I, I can't possibly comment, but those I spoke to didn't feel that way, nor, nor did Matt Welsh just then. Well, um, you didn't go, so it would have been a bit younger uh, than what oh, we need to take. Get, a... <laughs> doesn't, get, doesn't get old. We need it? to take a quick break. We'll come back with your other news after this. Round the turn they come now, and Sonic Express has dashed to the lead. Sonic Express is the leader as they straighten over. Street Ruffy and wrap around down the outside of the Whipper of Delvar, and they're followed by With Me and Shaftesbury Avenue, not in the hunt. Halfway down the running, Sonic Express is travelling like a winner. Two lengths in advance of wrap around trying to get to it, but Sonic Express in front. It's too good, Sonic Express. Sonic Express will hang on and score by a. Johnny little... Russell calling there, and and um, that was um, Sonic Express winning the 1991 Manicato Stakes. And, Michael, you said during the running of it, wow, what a field. Gee, that Shars- brings back some memories. Shaftesbury Avenue, Red Elva, Street Ruffian, Mike Houston at Kyneton. And uh, Sonic Express uh, was trained by uh, Barry Bennett, who has died overnight at the age of 80. And his daughter, Alison... 80 or 90? Oh, sorry, at 90. Sorry, what am I talking about? Um, his daughter, Alison, is a very good friend of mine. And she actually showed me that race on her phone recently and said... People forget just how good a horse this was because he sat five wide the whole way. Who rode him that day? Uh, Good question. Damien Oliver, I think. Was it? Yeah. Tony Kneebone teed up the ride on behalf of Alison and and Barry, and it was Damien Oliver. Uh, And Tony Kneebone, incidentally, has written a lovely piece that he's emailed me that he's running in Winning Post this week, a tribute to to Barry Bennett and sympathies to Alison and her uh, four sisters and brother. 
um, um, just describing, really beautifully describing Barry Bennett um, and he's, how he liked to drive too fast and drank too much and all this sort of stuff and had a great life. And I can vouch that it's genetic because his daughter drives like a <laughs> lunatic. Gee, so, 90s are great innings and uh, what, a, what a great career as a trainer. And you forget about those horses. Like Sonic Express, he, he loved the valley and that was a, a genuine group one field. Yep. He won a Grand National with NZ. Um, My Satin Star, Novak were other horses. He didn't take to training until he was in his 40s. He was very good at um, uh, property assets and things like that. He was a great footballer for Yarragon uh, down there in uh, East Gippsland as well. So um, a, a very big name in country racing uh, in the 80s, 90s and to early 2000s. Yeah, well, uh, condolences to Alison and the whole family. But um, what, a, what a great life he had. NZ, a Grand National part owned by Tony Nebo and that Correct. still gives me nightmares and you Matty we had a horse called Vizoom who was favourite in that Grand National I was out to dinner with um, some of the Vizoom people last night and Gavin Bedgood was there and Gavin was talking about his horse uh uh, Keats, who's got all the all-star mile votes, and whether he was harassed in the run by the Mick Kent horse who saddle-slipped last Saturday. <laughs> and it brought back memories of another saddle-slipped Mick Kent horse called Vizoom that you and I had a bit to do with. Imagine this saddle-slips in a grand national. Anyway. So now Mick Kent's a multiple offender. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, um, I had a nice chat to Darren Weir at the, uh, the, the, the funeral of Dean Lester at Cranbourne Racetrack last uh, Friday. Uh, and just a general, how are you going? And he seems in good spirits. Uh, I did ask him how things were going with the what is you know his situation in inverted commas, and he said, uh, "I just can't. I don't know. It's up to the stewards." And the stewards, I've just checked with them this morning, are still conducting their investigation into the revelation of uh, Jigger use, not just uh, possession. And that remains ongoing. Darren Weir's uh, disqualification, uh, disqualification has expired, but now the, this uh, investigation is off and running as well. So I'm sure it's really uh, frustrating for many, including Darren Weir, but um, it's still a non, non-running commentary situation, but the investigation continues. And just quickly, um, just while you touched on Dean Lester, there was a the huge celebration uh, for Dean Lester yesterday. At Crown, um, well done to Hamish McLaughlin and, and Jason Richardson who put it together some really big names. Ricky Pontine, obviously Lloyd Williams, um, Joy McNeil spoke magnificently, Simon Marshall, Tony Leonard as well, and of course Bruce McAvaney there. And um, it was a, a, a wonderful uh, day. Uh, I wasn't able to get there, but from all reports, it was absolutely phenomenal. And a message from both Richo and, and Hamish this morning, just wanting to thank everyone for their generosity and their time. Uh, Wally Dalzil, who we'll be talking to, was there yesterday as well. And um, Hamish wanted to, to let everyone know that it was such a success that Dean's promise that he made to his mother, Sandra, and partner, Leanne, uh, will be kept, that their houses will be paid off and they won't have to worry uh, about money for the rest of their lives. So Dean will rest very easy knowing what's occurred since his passing. So well done to everyone who was involved in another fabulous uh, farewell and, and a day of, uh, of great memories and laughs for uh, the incomparable Dean Lester. Absolutely. Um, the Racing New South Wales versus the rest of the world situation, um, obviously there's court... Um, 
toing and froing going on at the moment, the Supreme Court in Sydney regarding the application of Racing New South Wales to, to get access to certain documents that they think portray the other PRAs in a negative light. The hearing date to determine whether RV must respond to the summons for documents has been set for the 4th of May. So that's when that will be, uh, you know, the latest twist in that. Uh, American Hall of Fame um, is open for new inclusions and those heading the list, equine list of potential inclusions are Arrogate and California Chrome. So uh, they might join a very, very elite list, um, very big names. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Maddie. plenty of uh, news and looking forward to uh, listening to the Big V live from Flemington. You'll have some big guests out there as well. Well, and I hope it's a really long lunch. We like a long lunch, so... I don't think you're invited. Well, we're sort of in the precinct. <laughs> Are you going to wear that? There might be a dress code. It's an RSN representative <laughs> jacket. More, more what's underneath it. Uh, you enjoy your long lunch if you I get will. in. <laughs> Maddie Stewart's RSN News.